I just came by to stir your soul up a bit. This is the Perfectly Imperfect Podcast with Regina and Christine, where we share our stories as women openly and honestly. We believe it's through our journeys, our happy and sad times that connect us as sisters, because we're all perfectly imperfect. And welcome back to Perfectly Imperfect. I am Christine. And I'm Regina. Today, we have a very special guest. He is someone that we have all admired. We have actually a lot of mutual friends. And we met in New York through our friend Rowena at Boba Yeah, Dice, shout out to actually. Rowena. Yeah. Ooh. I think that when I was moving back from New York, I was really struggling with the whole concept of like going back to the West Coast. So met up with him. We talked over matcha. Over and, matcha, um, yes. Yes. And it was, it was a really good, I don't know, I think that we related on a lot of things. And yeah. um, because of the mutual friends we got, we had a lot in common. So let's welcome Steven Lim. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hi. Yay. Okay. Hello to the world. Is that, I don't know how podcasts work. I make videos. So, uh, I don't know where to look. Do I look at you guys or do I look at the there's you, no camera? Advert right. eye contact with us. Yeah, okay, just like avoid step. eye contact for the next hour. Amazing. I can do that. Oh my God. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I am excited to be on this podcast. We've been talking about this for a while now. A, a yeah. minute. Yeah. Yes. Steven's a busy, 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 busy man. He's a hard person to track down, yeah. but we definitely have been wanting to do this episode for a while. The topic that we're going to talk about today is just something that we've all gone through in varying ways. And I think that it'd be really cool to hear your journey through it. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for taking the time, Stephen, because like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh, the intonation of that. (laughs) I promise I'm not a diva or anything. Okay. No, I really respond to other people's energy. What I really love about Stephen is just your dry, sarcastic Mm. nature. I find you hilarious. Even when you don't intend to be. So sometimes. (laughs) 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 So even when he said hi, I was laughing at that. Yeah, she has been laughing since we got here. (laughs) So Stephen Lim, who are you? So what people maybe mostly know me for is the face of a BuzzFeed show called Worth It. Yeah. You try three foods at three drastically different price points. We find out which one is the most worth it at its price. Yeah, that's the main thing. But I'm actually the producer behind it. So like, despite being also the talent, I created the show. I produced the show. I edited the show early on. Mm -hmm. I directed it. And now we've grown the team to be like 15, 20 people. So I can kind of take more of a step back. Wow, that's That's amazing. It's a great team. Yeah, Yeah. we have an amazing team. And because of that, the show has gotten so much better, annoyingly better. (laughs) Just having other people who are super talented. And so my role on that has evolved over the years to be more of the the spokesperson in the face of the show. Yeah. I mean, congratulations on Mm -hmm. just the show and what you've built. Even just seeing it's like it's your baby. Yes. And now it's teenager. It's currently in season six. Wow. So, uh, adolescent. So, in YouTube years, that's like. Oh, yeah, true. YouTube years. You got to add times to that. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So, now that it's grown, and I mean, of course, there's exciting things that are also in the works, but just even getting it to this point and like what you've been through is exactly why we want to talk to you besides just you know you just being a cool person and getting to know you so yeah we have a whole list of questions and things that we have ready to dive into Mm -hmm. yeah so steven you came from ohio and that's where you started making youtube videos 
you know, we as Asian Americans all have that very commonality, like, oh, we need to study something practical. Mm. And then you went from studying engineering to just completely veering the other way and really pursuing media. Not only just it's chemical engineering. Oh. <laughs> that just sound, that just takes engineering times like a million in my head. But I don't actually don't know the very <laughs> Neither do I anymore. (laughs) You know, moving out to LA, Mm -hmm. then New York for a bit, back to LA. You know, you've done incredible things and you've been a little bit everywhere. And so, you know, today we really wanted to dive into what your experience was like growing up in a smaller state like Ohio and then coming to LA, you know, what your impressions were of it, how your impressions have changed kind of as you've started to get more into the limelight and into the industry. Yeah. And how that's changed. That was like an ominous into the industry. (laughs) (laughs) What was your experience like starting off in Ohio, making YouTube videos in your dorm room, right? So early on, I was a chemical engineer. Mm -hmm. I actually did graduate and I worked for a company called Procter & Gamble. Oh. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Wait, wait, wait. That was also so (laughs) ominous. I'm just here to make sound effects. Okay. <laughs> She's a soundboard on her own. That's, that's you don't need the soundboard. No, no. It's just me. That's why she's taking lead with all the important questions. I'm uh, here to just making sound effects. Yeah. And I made Tide Pods there for a year and a half. When I heard that, I was like, whoa, that's yeah. so random. <laughs> Super random. Like you wouldn't think that Stephen Lim from Worth It was part of making Tide, Tide Pods. Pods. <laughs> but it makes sense because I do a food show and Tide Pods are Were the- a common snack <laughs> that people liked. A delicious snack. <laughs> I pursued the path that my parents put in front of me and I didn't really question it. It's not that they pushed me into it, but my dad's an engineer, my older brother's an engineer, my little sister's an engineer. So we just kind of all followed that same path. Mm-hmm. And maybe within my first week at Procter & Gamble, I realized I do not care about soap at all. <gasps> I know. <laughs> what? So I'm not going to change the soap game as a low-level engineer here. That's when like, I started to just realize I wanted to make something else with my life. Mm. I started to do a lot of different hobbies. I like bought a drum set. I looked into like seminary schools. I wanted to become a pastor, actually. Mm. I could see you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I really thought about it, but no, I just wasn't caught into it. And suddenly I started making videos on the side. It was actually in my hotel rooms when I was traveling for work. Mm. And it was because I like missed my friends in Ohio, but then they started to pick up. And that's kind of when I like thought stupidly that I could make this into a career. Wait, why do you say stupidly? Yeah. Well, because it's not easy. I, I was naive. I spent three years making YouTube videos before I came out to L.A., yeah. All of them had less than a thousand views. Well, maybe ten thousand. That's yeah, pretty that's good a, for yeah. no one. I mean, Regina has been making YouTube videos too, so she yeah. understands like just garnering any views that are mm-hmm. outside your immediate circle yes. is yeah. a feat. It definitely it is. It is, a feat. but it's not a career. Yes, feat, yes, yes. Which I had quit my job. I had told everybody I was gonna do this. Oh, so you had already quit your job when you started to seriously make YouTube videos. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. So what was like the time frame between quitting and like continue to make videos in Ohio? It took me about six months to quit. Okay. And then I spent two and a half years making videos just wow. full time. I'd make videos during the day and then at night I would serve tables at the local Chinese restaurant. Really? Wow. Yeah. And that's how I survived. Wow. So I know that you've shared this with me, but then what made you have that determination to quit a job that you basically, you graduated, you studied this and your family has made a successful career out of it yeah. for you to be like, no, I'm actually going to go and take this huge risk on something that... 
I don't even know. I, you didn't study it. You didn't study film. You didn't, yeah. you know, no one else in your world is doing film. So what gave you that push? So I would say first and foremost, it was just praying about it and feeling at peace with it. Mm. And then secondly, the more I thought about spending all this time at a job that I didn't care about and just thinking about like that multiplied by 25 years, I couldn't see myself investing that much time into something. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to invest that kind of time into something I loved. And when I started making videos, I knew immediately that I loved doing it. And it just kind of made sense. So even when you weren't getting the views that you thought you were going to get, or I don't know what your expectations were mm -hmm. in those like two, three years that you were. Oh my gosh. Videos. I used to journal on Tumblr every week. <laughs> so I go back and read those. <laughs> and it's always just like, well, I don't know what's going on. And I'm maybe I'm going to quit someday, but I'm doing this. And looking back, it's like so funny. I think I was just head down, got to prove myself, and just having belief. Mm. I, don't, I do feel like partially it's stupidity. <laughs> when you like the young naivete. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. As in like, what were you telling yourself in those moments that were hard, were disappointing, that you just had to grind through, that any moment yeah. you could have just given up? So I did give myself about five years to figure it out. Like mm. I give myself five years to be able to make money on it and make it sustainable. But the way that I would get through it day by day is I would just take it stepwise. If something happens, that's one giant step forward. If something negative happens, then I just, you know, I shut my brain off and I just keep pushing forward. So it was definitely about like just taking it piece by piece. Mm. Yes, I learned that from Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the black mamba mentality. Yes. Yeah. So what did your parents think about all of this? Oh my gosh. I, my parents were amazing actually. They broke all the Asian parent stereotypes. Like when I called my mom to quit my job, she told me I should do what I love. Mm. I was like, what? Aww. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> are you sure? I'm telling you this and so you can tell me not to quit my job. So, so angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she was like, no, do it. I was like, okay, that's not the narrative I expected here. I need to struggle. <laughs> I need to like fight against my what parents. What am I going to tell my friends? <laughs> You're like, mom, I need to use this in a future video. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and she told me actually that like her friends were telling her to tell me to stay at PNG. Yeah, yeah. But she never told me this until much later. Wow. So she held it all back. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's crazy, man. Wow. Is that the secret of why she looks so young? <laughs> is, does she look young? She looks super young. Yeah. She looks I don't like know. she's your sister. Yeah, I know. What does it say about me? <laughs> Uh, it's not everything is about you. Like your mom. <laughs> Maybe her thing is that believing in doing what you love keeps you. Yeah, I could have yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And then so your mom. What about your dad, who is a chemical engineer, though? My so my dad's a mechanical engineer, oh, okay. and he was just always like, you know, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. Aww. I know it's like annoyingly <laughs> nice, Sweet. and I need to struggle. You know, like it's okay. Save it for your own kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give them a hard time. Yeah. I thought it's going to be the reverse. I'm going to want them to go in the creative field and they're going to be like, I want to be an engineer, dad. I'm like, no. Don't tell me what to do. No. <laughs> they were amazing. And I didn't have to worry about making my parents happy because they were already happy for me. Wow. And the big reason I actually started doing this was for Asian American representation. So back on my channel, I just only made Asian American content, like vlogs, sketches, comedy stuff. What were your views on Asian American representation? Oh, so bad. So low. I made content that was specific to the Asian American Midwest experience, Ooh. which is like a, it's like a pretty strong niche, 
but it's a tiny niche. It's like <laughs> it's like a few thousand people. Well, tell us because we're from SoCal. Yeah, Asian Americans, or for people that are international, that means like we're we and Regina grew up in a really populated Asian community. Yeah. It was like 80, right. 80, 90 percent Asians. So tell us about the Midwest. Yes, Asian American experience. Part of it is being one of the only Asians in your school. Mm-hmm. So having food that looks different than everybody else's you kind of almost feel like you are white because everybody around you is white. So you just kind of fit into the mold of what that is. Mm-hmm. Which was what to you? Which is like, I mean, I know a lot of Asian Americans do like watch a lot of sports, but I was just all about like ultimate Frisbee and NFL. The whole like Asian movement, I kind of missed like that whole like, Asian pride thing. Mm-hmm. I, it never got to the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Like it kind of did with like Zanga. But, like, it wasn't strong enough for me to, like, really hold it as an identity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you're talking about AZN, like, just basic, like, hardcore. Yeah, being Asian. Asian pride. pride. Yeah. 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 And it was amazing. That's why I started turning to YouTube because I was like, oh, my gosh, there are, like, other Asian Americans out there who look like me and talk like me. But I had never really known that many in my community. What were your impressions of what the mainstream media was portraying Asians as? What's interesting is I actually didn't even really consume mainstream media because I just didn't see myself in it. So I just like never really watched movies growing up or TV shows. Like I watched a few sitcoms because I like comedy, but no, I feel like I just didn't consume it because I just didn't relate to it. Mm. And that's why I started like really consuming YouTube in that golden era of YouTube 10 years ago because I finally saw myself in them. And that's when I knew, oh, I could do this for other people who feel alone in the Midwest or Asian American. Yeah, mm. yeah. Who did you see on YouTube that you were like, yes, that's me? Dude, oh my gosh, Kev Jumba. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like a random Asian dude in the middle of Texas. like In his bedroom. In his making bedroom. Videos. But like talking to A-list celebrities, like bringing A-list celebrities mm. onto his channel. That was insane. Like it's just like a an Asian dude in high school is like the funniest guy on the internet. That's mm-hmm. how I felt. I was like, wow, this is, it makes me feel empowered. Like I could do this. Uh, uh. Yeah. So when you're making videos in Ohio, what were your goals then? I know you were like Asian yeah. American representation, but what were your like bigger goals at that point? That is something that like didn't come naturally. Like you kind of figure that out as you're making the content. And so it took me a year or two to realize that I was making videos so that people wouldn't feel alone. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so alone in my experience. And I wanted to make sure that other people growing up didn't feel that way. But now it's like there's a million Asians in Ohio. It's like it's like totally normal. So a it's million? Like, there's a lot of them. <laughs> They're like, oh, is this where Stephen Lynn, yeah. the origin stories <laughs> began? There. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to struggle either. So there's just, we're out here trying to pave the way for them. But they don't even need it. Now, you know, they got Shang-Chi now. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's like, you guys don't know what it's like. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. So what prompted the move from Ohio to Mm. LA? Okay, so, I mean, Christine, you worked for Wong Fu at the time. Yeah. And... It was me. Well, what's what's funny, actually, is one of the... I met my roommate in LA because of you. JP. He made a video about you. Right. It did pretty well on YouTube. We love JP. Yes. We love JP. John Paul. He... um, (laughs) When he started the Always Summer Project, Mm -hmm. I was blown away by him because Mm -hmm. he also was just, he was a kid from Hawaii that was like, 
I love entertainment. <laughs> My best JP impression. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, I just wanted to tell people stories. And he just went out with some of his friends from ISA and then yeah. just started this show, right? Yeah. And yeah. to me, that's still one of my favorite shows. And mm-hmm. I wish that he would, I'm sure he also thinks that he wants I know, to pick it up harassed too. him about yeah. it several times. We'll bring too. it back. Yeah. <gasps> I'll have him yeah. bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I watched that video and I reached out to him like, oh, good video. So, because I had been following Wang Fu and ISA at the time. Yeah. And so I was working in, in Ohio, but I wanted to get more experience. And all my friends were like, dude, you need some more experience. They had the self-awareness that I didn't have. Were you going out there shooting things by yourself? Yeah. You're writing, shooting, writing, and figuring shooting. it out? Yep. Wow. Wow. Sound. This is why like, yes. all of that, looking back now, set you up for where you are now. Yeah. It definitely did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I had to figure it out. I never went to film school. Yeah. So I applied for a little company called ISA back (gasps) in 2014. Five years ago. Nobody responded to my email. (laughs) Um, But I had a video go viral at the time. Asian parents react to I love you. Where we called our parents and told them we love them and recorded their reaction. And BuzzFeed reached out to me to go work for them. But they needed me to move to LA. And at the time, I actually turned them down because I wanted to work with Christine Chen at the Wang Fu ISA headquarters. Oh, yeah, but I was like, so busy. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even look at the email. Oh, man. That email went straight to Dan Matthews. It yeah. went straight to Dan. Yeah. Um, sorry, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> look, Dan's a busy guy. We all love Dan here. He, he is super, super busy. To this day, I know that he holds that to his heart. But then everyone agrees that you have blossomed into yeah. who you are because you didn't go into <laughs> So I applied twice to ISA. Oh, wow. What were you applying for? Just like any position. In my email, is like any position. <laughs> any, just I can do me. anything. And then they never responded. So then I went crawling back to BuzzFeed. And I was like, hey, so I said no earlier, but I need a job. So will you take me back? And so that's how I ended up at BuzzFeed. Wow. What was the position for? It was for a fellow, for somebody who creates videos. It was a kind of like a trial run. Mm. And so if you do really well, they'll hire you full time. Wow. Mm. But then you also do the Jubilee Project Fellowship? That was, yes, really early on. That was one of the things that gave me courage to quit my job. And I remember Jason, who's the CEO of Jubilee Media now, he's, he like encouraged me to quit my job. And two years later, I was struggling. He was like, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't have told him to quit his job. Yeah, there were a lot of people who did say it. So it wasn't just him, but yeah, yeah. Jubilee Media. There was also something called Internet Icon. Yeah. I was on that. Shout out to anybody who remembers that. (laughs) It's probably still up, huh? Oh, it's definitely up. Yeah, you can see me cry on there. (laughs) Very emotional. The struggle is real. Yeah. I can talk about this now because it's a funny, charming story. But at the time, it was like, oh my gosh, like I'm embarrassed that I didn't get into ISA. I'm embarrassed I didn't get into Internet Icon. I was actually on the wait list for Jubilee Project Fellowship. So that was my struggle. And that's the fine points that I love to get into the nitty gritty because those Mm -hmm. are so many people are at that point for them. Yes. And I, I remember being at those and still because yeah. it's not something that you're like, once you've made it, you've made it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You start questioning yourself. You start questioning the overall, what are you doing with your life? Yes. What does this mean? Your value? Yeah. Is this is the right path. So it's not to say like, oh, look at Steven's story. So you'll be okay. But like everybody has had those moments. Yeah. And I felt that way. The whole like, what is going on with my life yeah. at the peak of worth it. So it's like, even yeah. when you're successful, it like it, that feeling never goes away. Because you'll never actually get what you're chasing for. I mean, once you do, it's like, okay, what's next? Yeah. If you said at the height of worth it, you were asking yourself that. 
what were you chasing then? I don't even know, right? Like you work so hard for something. It's like, okay, maybe once I get there, I'll know. But it's maybe the accolades and the financial stability and the influence. But honestly, all of that, it's never enough. The true meaning of what I realized was that peace will come from within and not from the external circumstances. So can I find joy in my circumstances regardless of what happens? And I found that I was actually happiest when I was poorest and least successful. So that kind of showed me like, you know, for me, joy comes from the day to day and being like the most self-aware, praying the most, feeling like I had the best community of friends. Like all of that was more important than getting to the top. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you had to go through it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I did. (laughs) I wish I could just tell myself and tell people out there that that's the truth, but it's hard to convince. Like you kind of have to go through it to know what's important to you. Right. But right, would you agree? Like, if success is not as important as your friends and family, and no, your I would sure. No, I would choose success. Over all <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. Yeah, and we're done. <laughs> no, like completely, completely. And I think that's why, like, we really wanted to talk to you about it because your journey and how vulnerable you are. Because I feel like a lot of people, especially in this industry kind of just like skip over that mm-hmm. or like to put up a front or they haven't learned it yet or not to say that everyone has to learn it but then it's not something that's really talked about because you're so wrapped up in what everybody else is doing yeah. and trying to keep up mm-hmm. right like what was your perspective of like coming to LA because I feel like especially with influencers and stuff like that you see them yeah. all being friends and then you're like oh and I moved to LA like I'll be friends with all yeah. of them like that will be me and we're just all gonna get that's along so real oh my gosh it's so real you think like, yeah, once you move to LA, it's all going to be great. LA is great. Everyone's great. Everyone's awesome. Like people are exactly what they seem like on camera. Like they're just so real. But the truth is that I was extremely jaded after living here for a few years. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> when I met Christine, I was like, oh, never meet your heroes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. There, there's a lot of great people in LA, but it took me a long time to find them. Mm. And what I realized too is that actually everybody has their own story and everybody is a real person, but it's so hard to get beyond that to to find the person within them that like I was just interacting with the exterior. Yeah, yeah, that's and such a good way. It's not the most pleasant experience. So moving to LA, I had a hard time finding friends. Kind of in Ohio, I would say a big cultural difference is in Ohio, there's not much of a front you put up. You kind of are who you are. Mm-hmm. In LA though, everybody has an exterior, whether it's like visually, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that is kind of who they're showing people. And then there's also the inside, but to get to the inside, they have to protect themselves. So they build this thing around them of their, I don't know, their reputation or whatever it is. Right. And this is even going beyond just social media, right? This is like when you meet them in person, yes. it's like, they're still like this. It's still the airbrushed version. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. And so I didn't know how to handle that, honestly. And so this is when I met Regina was... I fled to New York. (laughs) (laughs) As most people do. (laughs) Which for many other reasons, but that's part of the reason was I was like just really jaded and didn't really like LA anymore. I moved to New York and then that was super helpful because it helped me see LA from a distant perspective. It helped me realize that all of the problems that I dealt with, all of my insecurities, all of the drama was just so small. Mm. It's like when you stand on the top of like an 80 floor building and you look down and you just realize like, oh, like... Everything's moving slow. It's fine. Everything's okay. Just need to take perspective. It's like, yeah, being on the airplane, you see Mm -hmm. like 
the cars moving. Yeah, everything seems fake. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Lego. Yeah. yeah, and then you're like, I'm not physically in it. Yes, and so I can mentally not be in it as well. Yes, but seeing that is, it takes a shift in your perspective. It did, yeah. And just being far away from it helped me to just see that, like, you know, a lot of these problems are just in my own head.、Mm. So I need to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I need to just be more open. So then, when I moved back to LA, I came back、uh, a few months ago. It's just been so much better because I've just been more open, and I understand that, like, just because people show me this side of them doesn't mean that's who they are.、Mm-hmm. And people who I used to get annoyed at, I'm like so happy to see nowadays. I'm like, oh, I missed you. Like, this is why he agreed to do the interview. No. <laughs> No wonder it took so long. <laughs> I mean, was it? How was it for you? Like when you lived in LA,、yeah. you were from this area. I was from this area. I also worked at Wang Fu. I think I was starting to get to like that point, probably to like a lesser degree, just because it wasn't as drastic of a move. I was always in the kind of six to six LA area. Yeah. So you were always airbrushed. Yes, I was, always, I was always airbrushed. But I do remember kind of stepping into the industry and noticing, like, oh my god, all the girls wear like fake eyelashes. And I remember hanging out with Christine, and her hair was always like so perfectly done. And like I was very just like、oh, this is very overwhelming. And I think that I was in a few Wang Fu videos, and I remember getting some criticism from that. And Whoa, that, whoa, whoa, whoa! Criticism. Yeah, like or, just about appearances. It wasn't even about the content or anything. Oh my gosh!、Um, but it was just like appearances. They、yeah. made comments about my weight. They made comments like, "Oh, she doesn't even have eyebrows and stuff like that." So I think that what people in the comments. Or- yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I think that we both kind of went through that, and then that made us more reserved in a way, like not wanting to be as open and kind、mm-hmm. of show. Who we really are, because we were like, oh well, we tried that and we were criticized for it, or、right. not even criticized for it, but criticized for other things. And so I think that that made me kind of more closed off. And then because Christine and I were such good friends at the point, and she was older than me,、mm-hmm. she was like, you know, there's more to life than just this bubble. I see. And I had grown up in this bubble my whole life. And so after I finished my master's program, that was my jumping point. And I was like, yeah, I just want to go to New York and see what the world is like. And I completely agree with you. Going there and realizing that nothing, not nothing matters, and like an <laughs> ominous, like oh, nothing in this world matters. But being able to step away from it, I think, really helped because then it just felt, you know, I think that with Asian Americans, the movement it built up to this point,、mm-hmm. right? But I think that when I first went to New York, a lot of people were like, "Who are these YouTubers? Like, I don't know what you're talking about."、Yeah. Versus when I was in LA, everybody knows, right? You know, so I think that that was like a fresh perspective, and then coming back to it too, I think I feel more at peace. About a lot of things, I think before I was very like, oh, I wasn't included in this, I wasn't invited in that, and now I'm like, hey, if I'm invited, that's cool. If I'm included, that's awesome. But if not, like, that's okay too. Yeah. And I think that that was what I needed.、Mm, yeah. I mean, I was also part of it too. But like, if you guys don't mind sharing, what were the things that really turned you guys off about this industry? So I remember when I first moved out here, I would introduce myself to people, and I. Was it? Oh, I'm Steven. Nice to meet you. And they just like a lot of people, honestly, like just wouldn't care. They would not respond. But then fast forward to two years later, and I have this giant show, and the same people who I'm re-meeting the second time are like, "Oh my gosh, hi, nice to meet you, Steven." Like they don't、mm-hmm. remember the first time we met,、mm-hmm. and they also are like totally different the way they look at me.、Mm-hmm. And so that was very jading. Is that the right word? Jading. It was. It was. I get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jading, jarring, jarring. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> jar jar. It jaded me. It was, yeah. Yeah. So that was tough. That was like maybe the most obvious version of that. 
What was your interpretation from that? Like, as in, did you not feel worth it? <laughs> <laughs> you knew we had to bring oh, it up at least man. once. <laughs> branding, that's just, just strong branding. Yeah. But like, what were you telling yourself when you first met these people and they were like, yeah, uh, cool, no, I don't really care. Right, yeah. so coming from Ohio in that culture where you kind of just are friendly to everybody, it just felt like everybody was fake. Mm. And the truth is, it was only a few people but, you know, when one negative thing happens, I tended to attribute that to the whole community. And so then one thing would make me feel like the whole community was just a problem. But I guess the reality of it was that, you know, honestly, everybody has their own story and their own reason for certain things. And so, yeah, if somebody doesn't say hi to me for a certain reason, maybe they think I'm going to them for something. And so that's why they're turned off by it. There's always a reason. And so, like, I think the main thing about going to New York is actually it taught me a lot of empathy learning how to see things from different people's perspectives mm -hmm. and not like internalize everything too. yes how did that happen though the empathy the compassion oh, man okay so like i used to be very judgmental of people in general was that even before you came to la uh yes and i wasn't aware of this though but for example i did not grow up drinking i had never had a drop of alcohol until i moved to la mm. oh. you know i didn't really drink and i started actually drinking alcohol though because of worth it because in the show, we would eat the food and the chef would be like, you have to pair it with this alcohol pairing. And if you don't, you won't understand the flavor completely. Mm -hmm. So then I, was, I started getting into it and I started drinking the best wines in, in the world. And I was like, wow, I love the taste of alcohol. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and then that actually, then when I moved to New York, it has a large culture of going out and drinking in bars. And so I started to just engage in that, you know, and like going out and having a drink with friends. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, my perception of what happens when you go out is totally different than when I, it actually happens. Like, I just thought people got wasted and like had, I don't know, orgies and like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's stupid. That I love it. escalated or just, very like, quickly. Up, like crazy and like, I just thought it was, or like the drugs and I don't know. I, I don't know what happened, but when I started going out. I started to like socialize and meet people and not have orgies. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. So it's yes. possible to have alcohol and no orgies. <laughs> Who would have known? Shocking. Yeah. I would have never known. And that's where the empathy and compassion. <laughs> right. Just that realization. Oh, um, no, yeah. socializing and getting to know people just really changed my perspective. Like going out and learning that these are actually where real human connections are being made. Mm. And so that was part of me growing up and learning that you know, not everything is what you think it is until you try. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't recommend like binge drinking, but enjoying a drink or two with a friend or going out and meeting new people, I like totally recommend that. Just know where your limits are. You shared before that prior to this, you were more of an introvert. Yes. Right? And then through this, more of an extrovert. What kept you more of an introvert? I think it was my judgmental personality. Mm. And it, and I didn't even realize it. I thought I was a very open and caring person. But until I realized like, oh, I have these biases against people that I was able to release them. How did you realize that you had these biases? Like, how did you go from unconscious to conscious? It was when I was started to drink and go out. When I was starting to socialize more and be in circumstances that had people I'd never met before. Yeah. And then New York is a great place to do this because in New York, okay, here's the thing about LA versus New York. LA, it's a lot about who you are. New York is about like more of what you do. 
But New York, nobody really cares who you are. They may like take a photo with you, but then they're like, okay, it's like moments passed, right? Like everybody has their own thing going on, which I thought was really cool.、Mm-hmm. And so I'm meeting lots of new people who are just from totally different worlds and industries. Like in New York, you have artists, you have tourists, you have engineers, you have entertainment people, you have finance, finance, like、yeah. everything's out in New York. And, and you shove them all into one island. Yes, into Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, with and, alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> you pour alcohol over and、it. food. Yeah, and through a lot、oh, yeah. of food. And just like going to a new place and being vulnerable, traveling, not knowing anybody as well, but with a different perspective. So just being more open-minded, I would say. Yeah, it sounds very similar to your experience. Yeah, I think that working in the industry in LA, it just felt like everybody was like, "Oh, I'm somebody," and everybody really cared about who those somebodies were. And then I went to New York, and like, no one cares. Like,、yeah. celebrities will literally walk on the street, and nobody is like chasing after them.、Mm. And so I think that was a really refreshing take because then it was like I could be whoever I wanted to be. And I feel like in LA, sometimes I had the expectations of like, "Oh, well, I should hang out with these people." So it looks good, or but I think that there it was like I could hang out with whoever I wanted because I wanted to hang out with them and wanted to get to know them better.、And、yeah, for me it was much easier socializing in New York just because of the convenience of how close everything was, and then I feel like I was able to meet a lot of people who thought the same way as I did and just wanted to get out of their comfort zone as well. Because that's the thing、mm-hmm. about New York, like not that many people stay, but everybody kind of passes through or has their kind of like little New York stint, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and、yeah. I feel like for me, it was life changing. It really changed my perspective about a lot of things、mm. and opened myself up more too. Yeah. So you guys are talking a lot about you know your experience from New York, and now both of you guys are back in LA. What would you guys say the biggest lesson from yourself thus far in your journey? What a bombshell <laughs> question you threw out on this podcast. That wasn't on the outline. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen, you can take this one first. <laughs> Welcome to perfectly imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> So many things. I mean, the biggest thing I learned. Okay, so when I first moved to LA, to when I moved now, I was naive the first time. I didn't really know how to manage my expectations, and I think like I just believe that everybody should be who they are all the time, no matter what. Don't be fake. Like if you're fake, you're a terrible person. That、mm-hmm. was just like my perspective at the time. Now coming back, I think I've just realized that LA does have a culture around it. It's important to understand the culture to be a part of it. If you want to change it, you have to, I guess, not be naive to it. And I myself feel like coming back—it's more of my redemption story. Coming back, like,、mm. okay, second time in LA, I can do this. Round、um, two, round exactly right. <laughs>、yeah. I lost the first match. I also realized it's really important for me to just express love and empathy toward everybody. And that's just a human thing that you know. You kind of just realize when you realize the world doesn't revolve around you. And New York does that. It teaches you. There's a million other people in this world. They're all doing amazing things. It's all about you. And the best way is just to love others. I've been trying to just do that more here, which has totally been amazing. Like what I try to do is I cook for people every once in a while. I don't know. I'll go out of my way to go help somebody with some errands. Which I, would, when you first move to LA, it's like I gotta fight for myself and claw my way up. But having the flip perspective of being more of a servant attitude, more of a serving kind of person、mm-hmm. than the receiving.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also what you've been through in being able to give love genuinely comes from a place of being able to love yourself、mm-hmm. and to understand your own value. Versus, I think、yeah. that's one of the lessons. I'm sure everyone around the world learns this, but I think in LA, especially when you're coming into this industry, because it's such a 
limelight on like what is your worth what value do you bring and i think that's essentially what you know you guys were saying about when people first meet you here it's like well who are you like Mm -hmm. why are you approaching me if that Mm -hmm. person is more popular or has something it's like what do you want from me you know because people are judging each other based off of their perceived value and i know that happens everywhere but in la there's especially that and i hear it a lot from people who are not la natives that it's extremely jarring (laughs) to them when they first come here that it's like wow you're not taken for face value Mm yeah and i think a lot of people don't realize that because you take that person for face value then you realize later on you're like wait a sec yeah I see many different sides to you and you're speaking on two different sides of your mouth, you know, two different types of people. So you start to learn the game really quickly. And then that plays into, well, then what is my value then? Yes. If that person is reacting to me in this way and but really excited to see that person, does that mean that I'm not as whatever, insert, cool, mm-hmm. relevant, worth it? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and then I think from your guys' journey, you guys physically left I mentally left and checked out. And I think I really relate to what you guys said about observing it from a distance. And I think the quote that really helped me understand it at the time when I had like going through my depression is like, you cannot heal from a place that made you sick in the first place. Mm. And being in the sick environment, you don't see it because everyone around you is infected by this. So it becomes actually normal. And I can see how that just grows and grows and grows. So when you guys left and then came back, bringing this new perspective and new energy, I would say, like it comes from more genuine place, right? Because you're still figuring out your own story. Yeah. So, you know, you told us about, oh, sorry, Eugene, I didn't let you answer. What was the greatest lesson that you learned? I think for me, like in LA, because I grew up here, my parents are here and I have childhood friends and all that. I feel like a lot of other people were telling me my worth and who I was supposed to be and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think going to New York was my ability to understand myself and know what I wanted for myself. And even though that's still kind of up in the air and a little unclear right now, I think I was able to find that confidence in myself and bring that into my relationships. Mm. You know, like I wasn't as judgmental or mean to my friends who were successful because that made me insecure. I was much more encouraging of them and who they want to be because I know that that's their path and like this is mine. Right. So I think coming back to this now, I definitely feel like people just don't care. (laughs) about like people are not judging you as much as you think they are because it's the insecurities in yourself that drive that so once I had the confidence in myself I could be like oh okay well I want to do this because I want to do it not because I care about what other people say so I think that's kind of my changed mentality coming back into LA yeah I think that realization when you realize you've been projecting Mm -hmm. your own insecurities outwards that blew my mind because I was so down to point the finger at the other person. I was like, no, obviously it was you. It was totally you. What I realized through my journey thus far is like, oh, my perspective and lens shaped that yeah. experience. And that is my responsibility to hold on to and to stay accountable as I move forward. And the great thing about that is it empowers you because you can shift that. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much on like, oh, the industry is like that or that person treated me like that. If my boss or my parents understood me more, gave me the opportunity. That's actually very disempowering because you're putting all your your hopes and dreams on external circumstances that you cannot control. Mm -hmm. So then when you actually get to this point of understanding, these are all experiences that are meant for you, right? Mm -hmm. So they may be difficult, no doubt about that, but 
it's all meant to help bring that openness and empower you from within. So then since we are all people like sitting at this table that seem to meld what we love and we're passionate about and what we care about into our work, how would you say that with this new perspective that it has empowered you as an artist? I think the main thing is that I've realized my work doesn't define me. Hmm. I think Hmm. that I find my identity in so much more than that, which is my spirituality my friends, my family, my own desires. But outwardly, like people can judge me for whatever they want and that's totally okay with them. But I know that myself, my value comes from me. And so it actually frees me up to like do work that I think is truer to myself. Mm. So even with like Worth It, the show, in the beginning, I was still trying to find my identity and like who I am, like how do I fit in? I think over time, you can probably see it as the show goes on, but I've just become more comfortable with who I am. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be like silly and stupid and tell the dumbest joke. And if you don't like it, that's fine with me. <laughs> like, I, I like it. it. I love yeah, your jokes, I right? <laughs> but like early on, it's like people would just like give me looks like, what are you like? Why are you saying that? Like, that doesn't seem appropriate. Like, that's just not funny or like whatever. And who I would are be these like, people? <laughs> were the people that you worked with? Were your friends? Were the yeah, comments? Yeah, everything? Everybody. Like, mm. yourself my even myself and i was like am i is that not a good thing to say and and i just realized like you know i have to be true to like who i am yeah so i'm just gonna say it and if it's really bad we can cut it out later (laughs) but yeah that's just who i am and now like even with this last season of worth it even like all of us me andrew adam and we brought on annie as well Mm. as our team all of us i feel like are able to be more ourselves than before because we just realized that the show worth it doesn't define us we already know who we are and we're comfortable with that. Right. Mm. Because outside of the show, you are still who you are. Yes. And the best representation of in your reputation, quote unquote, is who you show up as every single moment. Exactly. It's exhausting to be somebody else. It's, yes. It's impossible. You can't yeah. sustain it. Yeah. yeah. Which is why it's so jarring to see <laughs> to see people that have that like on persona and mm-hmm. off persona. Because mm-hmm. I think to me, especially from YouTube, because I think with Hollywood and mainstream media, you're like, well, okay, I mean, you're a celebrity. I mean, JLo, I mean, I, I'm fine, you know? But then for YouTube, you, you think like, this is a person that I would like probably meet on the street. Like, you're like my friend, you mm-hmm. know? So you take your friends for who you think you know them as so then when you meet them you quote unquote meet your heroes from that world and you're like whoa 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 you're not who i thought you were going through that and watching them and also my because not only do you see that but when you start working in it like at least for me i started to see myself shift too right because either you're just like whoa you're not who i thought you were but then as you're in it more like i said you start getting swept away by what this industry prioritizes yes mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily what you came in as, especially when you come in as a very naive (laughs) person, which I think all three of us came in with kind of that like Mm -hmm. idealistic view of what we can do. And I think that's at the end, I don't know about you guys, but getting down to the core of it, coming in with that, like, oh, I want to connect. I want to be able to really tell stories and bond with people on a deeper level because there's something about YouTube and the Asian American community here, at least from watching it, that you feel like you're part of something. Mm -hmm. It is special. It is. It is. And not to say that now that you're in it, you can't do that or that's not what people really want to do. But then I'm realizing that the core thing about me that I came in with, with that naiveness, even though I've been through a jaded part of my life through it, like it actually still holds the same. I still want to connect. I still really Mm -hmm. resonate with wanting to like have people feel less alone, you know, Mm -hmm. and now being able to do that more 
that's what I mean through the empowerment part, right? It's a more genuine place because like what you've been through and you see what the industry is like and how do you make it work Mm -hmm. with that? So then with your guys' experience and now that you guys are venturing forward in your careers, what have you guys learned that works with what the industry is known for and kind of the superficialness of it and the genuineness that you've learned and are bringing with you? Yeah, just to reiterate, I do really enjoy the industry the Asian American particularly, because it is this amazing community of people who are super creative, who love what they're doing, who are just trying to make representation a possibility for upcoming generations of Asian Americans. And I like feel so lucky to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like I've met like nine out of 10, they're great, genuine people. And they're people who I would hang out with, who I love, who I want to spend time with. So yeah, even though we just spent an hour... <laughs> Like lambasting or whatever the <laughs> industry. It is amazing and it's it has a unique and special power. And I think that's kind of what I like about it is like if we're going to use this, we want to use it for whatever good that we want to do. Right. And so, yeah, for me, it is really about Asian American representation still. To me, it's also about bringing in younger people, bringing in people of different backgrounds and different languages and different colors and everything and giving them an opportunity. So for me, like I am in a position where I've achieved a level of success where I can start doing that. And I'm hoping that I can slowly step behind the camera and produce shows and be from behind and hopefully raise other people up. Mm, yeah, yeah. And also want to insert that the industry that we're talking about, the Asian American industry is composed of way more people than who you see on screen. Yes. yes. So those are the people where like, you may have never seen them ever, but they are huge forces in what really drives this community yes. and the glue and also reminding everyone in the little things too. Those are the people where if you're out there and thinking about, you know, do I, I've always wanted to come out to LA and, you know, but this podcast is making me feel <laughs> otherwise, but there's so many, many good people out here yes. that share that, but may not want to be on screen that's not their job yes. you know so there's many many different opportunities and you know even with like steven moving forward and creating opportunities and opening doors same thing with gina and many different industries here that there's so many different ways that you can forward whether it's asian americans or whatever cause that or core value that you feel like you want to really base your life and what you're doing off mm-hmm. of so not to dissuade you from no for <laughs> sure i think it's just really important to manage expectations going in that's yeah. it know what you're getting yourself into and be open-minded right mm-hmm. right what about you regina in like marrying what you've learned and into what you're creating now not just only with the podcast but with yeah. your clothing line yeah. like how do you feel like it has empowered you to mm-hmm. really make changes that you want to make I think I really related to what Stephen was saying about finding those messages that really speak to you. I think that with the way that the world is right now, there's just so many causes that people are so passionately fighting for. And then you're like, yeah, I support them. Yeah, I support them. But like, what is the thing that really speaks to me? Mm. And I think that with my clothing line right now, that's what I'm trying to shape and understand for myself. Like for me, I was always very insecure about the way I looked and my body because that wasn't what the standard Asian American girl Mm. was supposed to look like. And so I'm now realizing like, I want to use that as like my driving factor because I relate to that so much. I want to help other girls who have always been so hard on themselves about their bodies feel confident in themselves. It's finding those little things that really speak to you and just going for it. You know, for so long, I was always like, oh, I want to do this. Let me think about it for five years, Mm -hmm. Um, but not act on it. 
you know? And I think that now that I have a better understanding of myself and I know that not everybody is watching me and judging me for every move that I make, I think that I was able to understand for myself where that comes from and realize like, Hey, this is something that I'm really passionate about. This is something that speaks to me. And this is, that's reason enough for me to just go for it. Yeah, that's so good. I think what what both of you guys said um, really resonates deep and really inspires me in that when you come from that perspective and energy, there's a whole shift in how you see your experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the whole, like, if you're being judgmental, it's because you're judging yourself. You know, that how you see the world is a mirror of how you see yourself. When you can actually view that and be aware of it, then these experiences, there's so many things that open up that never were there before. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to explain because you kind of have to go through it. Because when you're in this little narrow perspective of how you've seen life, it's really hard to see anything, even when other people tell you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's like, no, Regina, he didn't mean it that way, you know? And it's like, no, he did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> and no, no one's ever going to convince you otherwise. Yeah. But when you go through, quote unquote, tough experiences, it's to help you open up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you're able to actually capture opportunities that were always there, but then be able to do something with it. And I think that's where... I think Steven had this a little bit earlier on than we did, but like taking the risk and just like doing it. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, with some people, you have to kind of see the opportunity there to be able to be like, you know, I believe in this so much that even though I don't know what's going to happen, I'm just going to go for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And hearing from what you guys have shared and opened up to, it really is being able to move forward now in this point of your life with kind of new eyes. I am curious because I am not a woman, but I'm curious as an Asian American woman, are there additional struggles or not even struggles, but just thoughts that you have going on that make it hard to take the leap that I wouldn't understand as a guy? Because I kind of see things as just Asian American, but then there's another layer of it, right? Is being female. Mm-hmm. I appreciate your question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm thinking about this a lot also because I'm like, I'm trying to do more projects additionally to the worth it show. Yeah. And I'm trying to bring in like women producers and, and women talent But honestly, it's hard to find it. So I'm like making very, very concerted efforts and still running against the wall almost trying to find women who are like in the industry and trying to pursue this. Right, right. I don't know what additional levels or layers there are that I'm not seeing. I think there's a lot of invisible layers that for women, we are ourselves from. So, you know, it's been known that men will apply for jobs that they're not qualified for, but women, they feel like they have to be overqualified in order to apply, Mm. especially being in the creative field is not stereotypically very encouraged by parents. So I can see why for a lot of Asians, first of all, like you wouldn't just go into the field. But then now that there's more and more, and it's really because of people like you and like Wang Fu and Mm -hmm. people that really inspired that, like you can do it, Mm -hmm. that there's definitely more like... I am always excited when I meet a female editor. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, your eyes like, like light up. And yeah. yeah. I'm like, how can I be your friend? <laughs> how can I connect you to people? We, we need more of you, you know? Um, Send them my way, please. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I cannot find many. <laughs> yeah, but they're out there. Yeah. And I think a lot of them are out in the Midwest or in Canada. <laughs> I really, <laughs> really? Think, Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of international women. But I think that's a barrier where a lot of women are like, well, I don't see myself in that. I and I don't, I don't know how to get there. I'm not qualified. I didn't go to film school. Versus I think more guys are like, I'm willing to make the jump. I'm willing to just try and apply and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And also, in terms of like being on camera, I can only speak from what I've observed and also my own experience. Like, uh-huh. there's so many things that women 
consider and are judged on that I could see why it'd be a deterrent for people to want to actually do it. It seems alluring in a way, but then there's so much nastiness when it comes to women and being a public persona, putting yourself out there. And also the fear of, and this is jumping ahead from someone who's not in the industry and wants to be on camera, but then you start hearing all these stories of women getting kidnapped, like influencers, like women influencers getting Mm -hmm. kidnapped and stalked. I'm sure it happens to male influencers as well, right? But I think there's- I've never worried about that though before. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've never thought like, oh that could happen to me really that was something that like my parents would always say like don't put yourself so out there so that everybody would know about you because then you're easier to track down and you're easier to yeah like it's a safety issue yeah Yeah. and i think in the back of all women's Mm. heads or most women that are at least coming into like being a woman that there's this fear this is instilled fear in just how you walk around in everyday life mm-hmm. like yeah. yeah i like in broad daylight too yeah like that happens to me where even just shopping and then this guy's a little bit too close i'm like yeah oh, i'm always like know. kind of looking back and, and it's not saying huh. necessarily the guy i actually had a whole conversation with jack about it recently where i was at the dmv and i was just on the phone and this guy just starts talking to me but he had a weird vibe to me and i asked jack i was like i wonder if how much of that was my own projection right. of that mm-hmm. or him but he also a little bit too close in like his presence and also a little bit like just asking the type of questions just made me feel really weird Mm -hmm. but then I also walked away thinking like well I have a lot of guy friends that also ask like well why can't I just be nice and just ask how your day is you Mm -hmm. know like I was like thinking about it from his perspective maybe he's just like oh just want to strike up a conversation yeah Yeah. I feel that too with like Lyft and Ubers in LA versus New York because in New York I lived in a building so I felt much more safe Mm. but in LA because it's taking me home sometimes when the driver asks too many questions I'm like ooh I like need to stop yeah no I've definitely heard of Uber drivers kidnapping like women but I think in general there's not as many women in the creative field yeah so I mean I'm here to just say like we need women yeah and I mean like even for example for Worth It right it started off as three guys and a lot of the reason why it was built that way was because I was too scared to have a female co-host because I didn't want people on the internet to ship us or anything you know like <laughs> so I was like I was just like scared to have that be a thing but then when we brought Annie on the show got so much better Aww. so it's like just having a female perspective has shifted our tone dramatically in mm-hmm. so many positive ways like there's just so many benefits right but that's the thing is like finding people out there. I want to just encourage people who are listening, I guess, to like yeah. take the leap and just go for it. And I think right now, especially people are looking. I'm looking. I don't know about like the whole industry at large. I think the industry they is are. getting there. They are. They are. Yeah. Definitely. So I, I think it's like something that I'm still wrestling with right now yeah. Yeah. as I'm trying to like build more projects and hire more people. I think for a lot of Asian American women, I know from my experience is that we're afraid to speak up because our parents taught us not to. They told us to be easygoing, to go with the flow. You know, the the traditional career path is to, you know, make a good living, create a good stable life for your family and kids and all of that, right? For the future. Mm -hmm. And this kind of negates that, like going into the creative field. And so I think even for me working in corporate, like I had a really hard time speaking up for myself or even just speaking at all because I was just running through my head. Like nobody cares about what I'm going to have to say. What if that's a dumb question? What if people judge me for that being a dumb question? And then when I finally get the courage to say something, either the meeting's over or someone else has said it. And Uh, so I think that there's a level of like overthinking that we do because 
we never saw ourselves in those positions that we've been talking about, right? Like we didn't see ourselves as leaders. We didn't see ourselves on the big screen. And so in a way, we thought that that could never be us. Yeah, that's why representation really matters. And mm-hmm. thank you so much, Stephen, for like bringing that up and actively not only vocalizing it, but believing it mm-hmm. and consciously making an effort to try to bring more diverse backgrounds and women into the mix because it really, really does matter. And mm-hmm. I think I only noticed it because I've worked in YouTube and been the only female in the room. So I understand how it can shape an idea that someone who's viewing it would never, ever think about. But it matters so much in almost an accurate representation of how a female or other people of different Mm -hmm. backgrounds would really react or think about that versus someone else who has no experience in that area, just assuming. And the extreme version of that is that that's how stereotypes happen. Mm -hmm. So thank you for making a really conscious effort to do that. And I know in our experience that it's easier not to. Because it is easier to reach out and be like, oh, there's so many options of male writers, hosts, editors, grip, you know, Mm -hmm. and it really shapes like your branding and what you're trying to bring into real life. And in a bigger sense, how not only just Asians, but I think people out there can see themselves through your content. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't my way of ending. <laughs> <laughs> I feel weird you saying thank you because I feel like I'm trying to do what's best for my projects. Yeah. Yeah. And it is like I am also trying to help, but also like it's like benefits all around. Yeah. So. It's a win-win coming from exactly. a win-win situation. Yeah. yeah. I guess my last question for both of you guys is we talked a lot about what resonates with you guys, the values, but what is your message right now that you want to give to the world moving forward? Actually, yeah, I think about this a lot because I think about this, like, how do I want to treat people? The most important learning I've had about being just a decent human being is to enter situations with humility to seek out opportunities to serve other people Mm. and to find ways to be more empathetic. And that requires effort. No human is built that way. Like, I mean, we all have it deep in us, but like we've all also developed selfishness and we've all developed like ways that we kind of are fighting for ourselves. But I think looking, yeah, ego, we've looking outwardly has just made me so much more at peace with myself. Mm. Also helped me to meet more people help me to connect with more people i will say like day to day there's times when i just forget that and i just like i'm too tired to make the effort to help somebody and then i'm just like oh man like another day kind of another opportunity wasted so it's just building that habit over time and growing in that and i think if the whole community shifts in that way especially in the asian american community here in la where there's a mindset of scarcity of roles and of opportunities I think we are now primed for that to be effective and for us to grow as a a group. So, so well said. Yeah, absolutely. It really lightens my heart when that idea finally clicked where the very thing that we're like, hey, we want to help connect people and make people feel less alone because we felt really alone. Yes. You know, really comes from a place of opening up and connecting with other people. Yes. And it makes the world at the same time feel that much smaller, but that much bigger. Mm-hmm. And then so when you really move forward in this innate feeling of wanting to connect with other people, wanting to be a part of something, yes. is really putting yourself in being a part of something in this world that you're already in. You don't have to be a Stephen Lim right now to be a part of something, to feel connected. Because through our experience, we kind of went the other way. And like, how do we be a part of this industry that actually seems to influence people on a really big level and be a part of something in that scale? Yeah. But learning at the very end of the day, it comes down to your daily choices mm-hmm. with people 
that are closest to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not necessarily about like, how do I reach a million people at one time? Like, how do you show up for yourself and the people around you first mm. in what you say, like a decent human being with compassion, love and empathy. And just doing that, you will be a part of something that will actually change and shift the world in a way that actually we need the most right now in like the daily shifts that you can do with everyday people because everyday people influence other everyday people yes. in, mm-hmm. in that. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I came across this realization when my friend Simu got the role for Shang-Chi and I was like, oh my gosh, like he's making such an impact in this world. What am I doing to make an impact in this world? And I realized like, actually I can make an even more of an impact just in my day to day than he's, mm-hmm. what he's going to do like for millions of people on Marvel. But like, I can at least play my role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just not compare myself to other people. Yes. 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 Everyone has their own way of shifting and influencing other people in their world. And, you know, if we just talk about the stuff that our society is going through, terrible, terrible things. Like that person, you always go back to like, man, if someone had just reached out to that person, mm-hmm. right? Really mm-hmm. connected, like you could have been that person. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't take you having to create a video or be a star in like a Marvel movie in order to do that. Mm-hmm. I hope it empowers people out there wherever you are in whatever job or world that you're a part of. For Regina, yeah, what, yeah. About, what about you? I mean, I don't know how to follow up on that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys really just took the words out of my mouth. But yeah, I think for me coming back to LA has been very grounding. Like my family's here. A lot mm. of my close friends are here. I realized how much that has helped me and I want to use those resources to help others. Like that was always what was fundamentally built in me. My parents were like, go into the medical field because you can help people. But when I came into the realization, I can help people no matter what industry I was in. Yes. That's when I just kind of came into myself and really started to build towards this vision of what I always saw. Yeah. 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 I'm so empowered by you guys and inspired. Me yeah. too. I'm, I'm inspired by you guys. So thank you for having uh, me here. No, thank you for making time. And, yeah. And, and uh, being so open and vulnerable. I have time. <laughs> but he actually has to go. Yeah. <laughs> I have time. Just two more minutes. <laughs> While we're watching the clock. Yeah. But no, but thank you for being so open and vulnerable really just everything that you guys have been through uh, only benefits the world because now that you guys show up as more in like who you guys always were but standing more in your own worth <laughs> value <laughs> he must be so annoyed by that I know. No, like, no, it's, not, it's, just, it's also tied to like yeah you're now it's like your own self-worth and yes. all that and you are worth it all of you guys are out there are worth it just as you are you guys are worth it I yeah agree. oh <gasps> branded by steven yeah. <laughs> yeah you guys are worth we got the it. thumbs up yeah <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephen, today. This was just such a good conversation to have. I feel so inspired and empowered to go out and do more things. I think that a lot of us get in our own heads about all the reasons why it will go wrong Mm -hmm. um, and therefore don't do it. And this has like really helped me just kind of clear my mindset. And I feel so like uplifted. Yeah. It's okay to trust yourself. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. So Steven, where can our listeners find you? Not that they already don't know, but yeah. yeah. My address? Yeah. Well, I live... uh, (laughs) Where? Where? (laughs) On Instagram (laughs) at Stephen K.W. Lim. And you can find our show on Worth It on BuzzFeed. So you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. You can read those Tumblr posts. They're still online. Oh, going to have to old. dig through them. Regina, is your Tumblr still online? My Tumblr is still there. <gasps> yeah. It still exists. It's live. It's not also... thriving, but it's alive. <laughs> same, same. 
Also, a random plug for no reason, but my dad, you can follow my dad on Twitter, UTA Provost at UTA. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I ran into somebody who went to UT Arlington yesterday, and I was like, oh my God, my dad's a provost there, and you should follow him on Twitter. So, uh, this is just out of nowhere. But that's yeah, so okay. cool. My dad's on Twitter. We're in full support. Yeah, <laughs> dad's on Twitter. For sure. And that's it. Yay! Awesome. So if you resonated with this episode, feel free to share it with a friend. I think we can all use this message. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.